Now we're going to be hearing from Titus chapter 3, verse 1 to 8. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of, of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Good morning. Good morning to those of you who are here in the building with us and those who are watching at home online. My name's Rick, and it's great to see those of you who are here, and I trust that those uh, at home online are following along as well. Uh, if you are visiting us here today, whether in the building or again or online, I'd love to meet you. Um, one of the best ways to do that is uh, to click on the Contact Us button on the church website, and I'll be able to get in touch with you from that. Let's pray again as we come to reflect a bit more on this passage from Titus chapter 3. And I encourage you, if you do have Bibles with you, that you keep that open. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we reflect some more on this part of your word, that your spirit will be working among us. Um, Father, may you so remind us of your goodness to us in sending your son Jesus to save us, that it causes us to live the new life that you would have us live. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The question that I want us to start by thinking about this morning is this. What difference will it make if we really do appreciate the significance that I have been saved by God? What difference will it make if I appreciate the significance of having been saved by God? And as I think about that question, it reminds me of a, of a situation that I was in uh, a long time ago now when I was 10 years old uh, and being saved out of the surf at the beach. I was on holidays um, with my family and with some other family friends down on the south coast of New South Wales and we were out swimming at the beach and body surfing, catching waves together. And so I was swimming with a group of people around me until all of a sudden I wasn't. I was swimming all by myself, I discovered. And I looked back towards the beach and I discovered I was much further away from the beach than I thought I was. So as you can imagine, that's a somewhat unsettling experience for a 10-year-old to be all of a sudden discovering that you're by yourself and a lot further away from the beach than you think. But I thought, that's okay, I'm a good swimmer, I'll just catch the next wave that comes along and I'll get myself back to the beach. And so the next wave came along and I started swimming to catch it but it went by, I couldn't, couldn't catch it. Uh, so another wave came along and I thought, well, I'll get this one, but it also went by me and I wasn't able to catch it either. And then again, a third wave came along and a fourth and I wasn't able to catch any of these waves. 
See, it turns out I was out further than the waves were breaking and to make things more difficult, I was in a rip and waves don't really break in rips properly and so I was just getting taken further and further out to sea. And so it was at this moment that I was starting to think, okay, maybe this could be a bit of a problem. But right then, a guy turned up, a guy wearing that familiar red and yellow cap with the white strap under the chin, you know who I'm talking about, right? A lifesaver. I don't think they wear those caps anymore, do they? But you know the stereotype. And, and he was there and he grabbed me and before long he had got us both back to the safety of the beach. And I still remember that day quite vividly walking up the sand having just been rescued out of the surf. How do you think I felt in that moment? Was I relieved? Was I thankful? Did it make me want to become an ambassador for beach safety? Did it make me more compassionate to people who get themselves into those kinds of trouble in the surf? No, none of those things. I was embarrassed. I felt humiliated. I was in denial about the gravity of the situation that I had been in. I I didn't really need saving, did I? I didn't want to admit what that suggested about me and my swimming ability. I'm not the kind of person who needs to be rescued out of the surf. I'm a good swimmer. I know how to swim in the surf. Sure, it was, it was good that that lifeguard turned up, but you know, I'm, I'm sure I probably had it under control. I'm sure I was probably okay anyway. I would have worked it out. You see, I'd been saved. I'd been rescued, but it didn't really have the impact on me that it should have. Now, I tell that story because this bit of Paul's letter to Titus that we've just read and that we're reflecting on a bit more now is about a rescue. A rescue that if we understand it rightly, it must have a dramatically different effect on us compared to what that saving had on me at the beach that day. And the whole thing really centres around three words right in the middle of this passage. It's those three words at the beginning of verse 5. Can we get them back up on the screen? Yep, excellent, thank you. The beginning of verse 5. He saved us. These are three words that fundamentally describe the Christian experience and they must, they must have a dramatic impact on how we see ourselves and as a result on how we live. And so you see that the passage begins and ends by describing the good life that God calls us to live, a life of being devoted to good works of being humble and considerate towards the people around us so that we will be a blessing to the people around us. What what a great thing to aspire to, that we will be a blessing to the people around us. And Paul says that the engine room for this kind of life, the thing that will make the difference in living this kind of life, is knowing that we've been saved by God. And so he says to Titus in verse 8 towards the end, he says, this is what I want you to stress. This is what I want you to emphasise for people so that they will devote themselves to doing what is good. And so that's what we're going to do now as we we reflect on this passage a little bit more. And the first thing that we're going to see about the significance of being saved by God is that we must remember the life that we've been saved from. Remember the life that we've been saved from. You notice that it starts in in verse 1 of Titus chapter 3. I'll just get to the right page. In verse 1, 
by telling the Christians on the island of Crete, which is where this letter is written to, to do everything they can to get on well with the people around them, to be good citizens and good neighbours. Let me read from verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, always gentle towards everyone. He's telling the people on Crete to, to get on well with the people around them. Now, for the Christians who live on the island of Crete, this would not have been an easy task. You see, back then, 2,000 years ago, the island of Crete had a reputation. And it had a reputation for its people who were not easy to get on with and for their low moral standard. That was the reputation that the people of the island of Crete had. It also had another reputation, and that was that there were no, wild, no dangerous wild animals on the island of Crete. I don't know if you know that, but apparently there are no native dangerous wild animals on the island of Crete, unlike Australia, right, that has a reputation for having heaps of dangerous wild animals. And so one ancient writer kind of put those two ideas together and he said, well, Crete doesn't need any dangerous wild animals because the people are bad enough. The people are like wild animals. And you might remember back from chapter 1, Paul quoted a, a, a philosopher about the people of Crete that calls them wild beasts. And that's what that's getting at, that idea of this is what these people are like. And so Paul says to the Christians on Crete, you know, whatever the people around you are like, you be gracious towards them. You be humble, you be compassionate. And if you can say that to, to the people, the Christians on the island of Crete with those kind of people around them, then you can say that to us in 21st century Sydney. We are called to be uncommonly gracious and humble towards the people around us. So what will help us to be like that? Even to people who live like Cretans? Well, the answer is to remember the life that we've been saved from. Have a look with me now at verse 3. For at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. If you're a Christian, this is the life that you've been saved from. That description in verse 3. Now, it's been my experience that as I kind of speak to people about this and as I come across Christians who read this verse, some people say, yeah, look, I can totally see myself in that. I know that this is the life that I've been saved out of. I was exactly like this. Other people, though, sometimes say, I don't know, that sounds a bit harsh. It sounds a bit extreme. You know, maybe I've been a Christian since childhood. I don't have some dramatic conversion experience out of a wayward past. I can't really identify with this. But you see, whether, whether we've had a, a dramatic conversion experience or not, this is not just talking about a past life. This is who we all are apart from Jesus. And I see myself in this verse because of my ongoing struggle against these very things. Now, when am I ever beyond the capacity to be deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and desires? Those things that I think will bring satisfaction in life, 
but really just kind of suck me in and rule over me? When will I be completely free from the destructive power of envy or of anger? When will I be immune from that cycle of bad relationships, of hating and being hated? See, this is not talking about that rare, worst of the worst, bottom kind of 1% of humanity. It's talking about the common human experience in conflict with the people around us. I mean, who doesn't have that experience? Enslaved by the things that I think will bring me pleasure. How common is that? Disobedience, whether to God or to worldly authorities. I mean, we wouldn't need police, would we? If everyone obeyed our authorities perfectly, we wouldn't need speed cameras, we wouldn't need breath testers, we wouldn't need COVID enforcers these days. This is describing common human failings. And as I struggle against these very things, it reminds me that this is my natural state, apart from Christ. This is what God has saved me from. And it's essential that we do see ourselves in this verse. And if you can't see yourself in this picture in verse 3, whether in your former life or in your ongoing struggle against these very things, then maybe you're kind of doing like what I did after I was rescued out of the surf that day, those many years ago. You know, it's nice to be back on the beach, but, you know, I think I was probably okay. You know, I'm not really sure that I actually definitely needed rescuing. I think a lot of Christians can maybe subconsciously end up with this kind of attitude where we're on our moral high horse and, and looking down on others. But this verse is meant to remind us of just how much we needed saving, at least in part, so that we will be gracious and compassionate and humble towards those people around us who still need saving. We must believe that any difference between me and them is not because of me, but because of Jesus who saved me. I guess it's about having that there but by the grace of God go I attitude. You know that expression, right? There but by the grace of God go I. Particularly as I relate to difficult people, having that attitude. So that I think, well, whatever it is about that person, I'm totally capable of being like that myself. And that could easily be me. And, and perhaps sometimes it is. I was forced to remember that a while ago when I had, a, I guess you call it an altercation in a local car park. I was sitting in my car and a guy got into his car next to me. And as he did so, he opened his car door and banged it into, into my car door. And he kind of looked down at what he'd done and pretended nothing had happened and got into his car. And I was sitting in the car, and so I wound down the window and was quick to kind of point out to him what he'd done. And he was quick to deny it and then start getting aggressive and swearing at me and then just drove off. And I still remember kind of my blood boiling in that moment and thinking about, you know, what I needed to do to get revenge although I didn't call it revenge at the time, I called it teaching him that he can't treat people like that. But I still remember how kind of worked up I was. How could people be like that? And I was filled with indignation. But this is teaching me to say, well, if there was anything about me that is different to him, that's only by the grace of God. You know, we will come across people who are hard to get on with, who are hard to be gentle and peaceable 
and considerate towards. That's just a given. That's part of living in this world. But, you know, we follow the guy who said, love your enemies, and who said, turn the other cheek. You remember that? And one of the things that will help us to do that, particularly when we've been wronged, and we, and we feel that kind of indignation rising in us, one of the things that will help us to do that is to see ourselves in them and to remember the life that we've been saved from. This is what will help us, I think, to be that blessing to the people around us that we are called to be, however difficult they are. It will help us to be good citizens as we obey our authorities, even when they're not perfect. It'll help us to be good neighbours, good friends. It'll even help us to be good enemies. And people will say, with enemies like that, who need friends? Remember the life that I've been saved from. That's our first point. The second thing we need to remember about our salvation is that my salvation is all from God. It's all from God. I think you you can't really read verses 4 and 5 and and think, well, you know, I, I contributed to this, can you? Let me read from verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. And just in case we're not really sure who gets the credit, he goes on to put it in the negative and in the positive. He says, not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us. Now, could that be any clearer? God saved us entirely because of his mercy, his kindness, his love, and not because of anything that we did. It was everything from God's side and nothing from our own. The motivation was God's. It was his love, it was his mercy, and the power to save was God's as well. God was the one who reached out and grabbed us like that lifesaver, reached out and grabbed me in the surf that day. It's not like the lifeguard kind of swam up to me and then kind of tested me to see if I was worthy of being saved. You know, was I the kind of character of person who's who's worth saving? No, I needed saving and so he saved me. He was there to save me. Nor did I help us get back to the shore. In fact, I'm pretty sure I made it more difficult. You had to swim with one arm after that. I contributed nothing. It was not like I was easy to save. And that's what we need to remember about God saving us. I contribute nothing. I wasn't one of the easy ones to save. I wasn't someone who might have made it on my own. I needed saving and God did it. Now, I might just pause kind of at that moment for, for a second Because I'm very conscious that this is speaking to people who have been saved by God by putting their trust in Jesus. I guess it's speaking to people who were already safe on the beach, you could say. But I'm conscious that there may even be people in in the room here among us or, or watching at home online for whom this is not the case, who are still stuck in the rip, so to speak. And if that's you, or if you're kind of not sure then can I say that this is the most important thing that you need to address? And that doesn't happen just by sitting in church or by watching church online or by living a somewhat decent life or by trying to combine those two things, sitting in church and living a somewhat decent life. It happens by 
recognising that we need saving and that only Jesus can do that. In fact, that Jesus has already done all that is necessary for our salvation. His death for our sin, his resurrection for our new life. Jesus has done all that and he just says, trust me. He calls us to trust him for forgiveness and to not rely on our own good works and to put our life in his hands. And if that's not you yet, then can I say, don't let another day go by before you address this. Please speak to me or speak to a Christian friend. This is, there is nothing that could be more important. Now, where are we? Being saved by God means remembering that the life that we've been saved from. It means knowing that my salvation is all from God. And finally, it means knowing that we have been saved to live a new life. Saved to live a new life. You see, God's saving us changes us, right? We've been washed clean, it says, and born again so that we can live a new life. And we've been empowered by his spirit to live that life. And so we can't put our trust in Jesus and expect to stay the same. We can't put our trust in Jesus and just expect to still be exactly like that description in verse 3 that we looked at. We can't put our trust in Jesus and, and expect to just be no different to the people around us. And so we should expect to see a difference. But, and here's the point, even that change in us, even that difference in us, that is part of the saving work of God. Did you notice that God's saving us here doesn't just describe that initial kind of forgiveness, uh, being saved from hell and eternal life. It also includes the new life that God has saved us to, that God creates in us now. The washing away of our sin is also, it says in verse 5, the washing of rebirth and renewal to a new kind of life as the power of his spirit works in us. God's saving us includes all of that, the beginning as well as the ongoing transformation. So this means that there's no place for us to say, yes, you know, God did save me you know, X number of years ago, but who I am now and what I'm like now and the difference, the different kind of person that I am now, well, that's to my credit. You know, I'll put a, a lot of work into being who I am now. And so now I feel you know, morally superior to the people around me. No, if we are any different, that is part of the saving work of God. That's part of the washing of rebirth and renewal, as it says here, that God does by his spirit for those who trust Jesus. And I think this is particularly important for us to hear for people who've been Christians for a long time or for people who have come from Christian families particularly because it can be easy for us to be in that situation and to start thinking that the real difference between me and the people around me is you know, some of the moral choices that I make. You know, I, I don't do those things that other people do. And even then, perhaps we are selective about which moral choices we choose to focus on. That's really such a pale and distorted view of what the Christian life is really about. And it undermines the significance of God's saving work. That every part of who I am is because I'm saved by God. Saved to live a new life that is transformed by his spirit. 
a new life that is eagerly looking forward to the eternal life that God has given us as an inheritance. That's the new life that God has saved me to, and that's part of the saving. And that kind of brings us full circle back to where we started. You see, unlike me, when I was saved out of the rip at the beach that day, being saved by God must have a dramatic impact on us. It must have a dramatic impact on how we live because it reminds us of what we've been saved from and it shows us what we are saved for and that must make a big difference to how I relate to the people around me. God has given you, God has saved you to live a new life, a life that is gracious and humble and compassionate, considerate towards others, regardless of what the people around us are like, a life that will, as a result, be a blessing to the people around us. So as we leave here today, when we leave here today, I want us to leave with this thought for the week ahead, and I'll finish with this. What difference is this going to make for me this week? As I remember the life that I've been saved from, as I think about that, and the life that I'm saved to, what opportunities is, am I going to have to be devoted to good works that will make me a blessing to the people around me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you help us to never forget to always remember uh, that we are who we are, always, entirely and only, because we are saved by Jesus. We pray that you will help us to have a humble perspective on ourselves that will cause us to live with humility and gentleness and compassion towards the people around us. Father, may we be the kind of people who are so transformed by your spirit that we are a blessing to the people around us, that we are people who are earnestly devoted to doing good works for the sake of others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.